Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Sweeney, here with my co-host, Kristen Padilla. Today, we continue our special four-week series on the ministries of African-American Beeson alumni. February, of course, is Black History Month. And at Beeson, this is also our third annual African-American Ministry Emphasis Month. Its purpose is to shine a light on what God is doing in our African-American churches, especially those pastored by family members at Beeson. Before we get going, let me put two very important dates on your mind, February the 15th and March the 1st. February 15 is our tier one scholarship deadline for those applying to matriculate at Beeson in the fall of 2022. Tier one scholarships cover anywhere from 65 to 100% of tuition for students in the Master of Divinity program or the MDiv program. If you want to be considered for one of these scholarships, you need to have submitted your application by February 15th. March 1st is our fall general admission deadline. We would love to have you join us this fall as you prepare for faithful, lifelong ministry of the gospel. Learn more at beesondivinity.com slash admission. All right, Kristen, let's jump into today's conversation. Who do we have on the show with us? Thanks, Doug. We have the Reverend Ruby Hurd Bustamante. Uh, she is a 2012 graduate of Beeson Divinity School, and she is the pastor of Wayman Chapel AME Church in Valley Grand, right here in Alabama. And I'm proud to say, Doug, that she is the newest member of the advisory board for the Center for Women in Ministry here at Beeson. And I'm grateful to you, Sister Ruby, for agreeing to serve in this way. And welcome to the Beeson Podcast. Thank you so very much. I'm so proud to be here and honored. Thank you for thinking of me. Well, of course, um, we are honored that you would be with us and spend your time with us today. I would love for our listeners just to get to know you a, a bit better. I wonder if you could tell us more about where you are from, anything about your spiritual faith journey and what you're doing today. Okay, sure. Thank you. Well, um, born and raised in Bessemer, Alabama. I am the uh, second of uh, two girls that was born to my uh, deceased parents, uh, Jesse and Evelyn Hurd. My father worked at Pullman Standard in uh, Bessemer, Alabama, and uh, he was employed there during the daytime. Uh, but at night, he had what we call a, he was a backyard mechanic. He would work on cars in, in, uh, in our home at, in the backyard until nighttime. My father was a faithful member of Allen Temple AME Church, as well as my mother. They both were active members of the church. My father was a trustee in the church. He was the president of the senior choir. He was also the custodian for the church as well. And my mother was a YPD director. She was over the Girl Scouts. She was a stewardess. And I grew up in the church. And because I grew up in the church, I don't even know at a time when I was not in the church because that was our form of uh, recreation. That was our form of outlet. Uh, because during that particular time we were talking about, I 
uh, was born in 1952. So during that particular time, it was uh, uh, very racially uh, segregated. And so uh, our only outlet of having any type of recreation was through the church. And so it became a vital part of who I am today and for us as we was growing up. Um, I never knew of any day when I wasn't in church, okay? Uh, uh, so it's just a big part of us. And I think that as I have grown older, I see that that has been so instrumental into where I am today. I came to really realize that God was in my life. He was a part of my life. It, my parents were old school. And I say that because when we were growing up, uh, we had to go to what we call the mourner's bench. I don't know if you ever heard of that before, but that meant that we had to, every day after school, we did nothing but come into the house. Uh, we had no playing. We went no place. We did nothing other than read the Bible and get our homework done, talk to nobody. And we was on the mourner's bench and, and we had to come to God for ourselves is what our mother and father told us, that you had to uh, seek him. And as you saw, seek him, that you would find him. And so that's what we did. And uh, I was called on that Wednesday night and my sister was called on that Thursday night. And so uh, we were immersed in the baptismal pool there. And because, uh, as you know, in the AME church, you can uh, have the immersion or you can be poured or sprinkled. And so my mother always believed that you had to be immersed. And so that's what we did. And so we were immersed. In, and so that was the beginning of uh, who I am today. Pastor Ruby, tell us, if you would, just a little bit about how it is the Lord pulled you into pastoral ministry and how you got to the Wayman Chapel in particular. Okay, well, it's an interesting story for me to talk about how I got into the pastoral ministry. My secular jobs were I taught the science section of the GED for six years with JCCEO. Then after that, I uh, was a police officer with the Birmingham Police Department for three years. Following that, I was recruited uh, by the FBI and the uh, U.S. Marshal Service uh, because there was a need of Black females. And so I went to the U.S. Marshal Service and was a deputy U.S. Marshal for one year stationed in Savannah, Georgia. And following that, I was recruited by the FBI and uh, joined the FBI in 1986 and uh, was there for 20 years. My first office was in Newark, New Jersey, and I retired out of Huntsville, Alabama. And so when I was in Newark, New Jersey, the pastor there at St. James AME Church preached a sermon on, from John 5, do you want to be healed? Uh, with the man at the pool of Bethesda. And from that particular sermon, it just stayed with me and it still stays with me. And, and from that particular sermon, even though I left New Jersey. When I got to Alabama, I joined uh, St. John AME Church in Huntsville, Alabama, uh, but only stayed there for about a year. And then I moved over to uh, Progressive Union Missionary Baptist Church. Um, and during that time, God was working in me. Before I even left Alabama, about two years before I left in 1982 or 1983, uh, I started having a, a, a very close walk with the Lord. His Holy Spirit was moving in my life. He was uh, moving me to become more vocal in my worship, to become more demonstrative in my worship. And uh, from that, uh, I took that with me and did not know what it actually was. And so it was when I was 
uh, in Huntsville and I was attending the Huntsville Bible Institute. I was taking a class there. And one of the requirements was for us to uh, write a sermon and to either preach it or to pass the paper in. So I had already told her about, I'm not no preacher. I'm not preaching nothing, okay? So I'm gonna pass this paper in. And so that night, the night prior to our having to uh, turn the paper in, I guess you know, God does what God does, okay? He woke me up in the middle of the night and said, you will be preaching this sermon and you will be my preacher. And so from that, that's where I got to where I am now to be a preacher. I still ran, I still doubted the calling. I still did not want to accept the calling because for me, I said, I don't know anyone in my family uh, who's a minister, okay? Why, why me? You know, that, that's not a part of us. And, and so it, needless to say, I just went on and kept doubting it, but I finally found out that some, some people on my father's side who were pastors. And so I said, okay, maybe that makes sense, but still, okay, a little shaky there still, not uh, 100% uh, uh, sure that that's what I was supposed to do. And so from that calling, um, I went and told my mentor, my mentor who was Reverend Dr. William D. Watley, uh, who was at uh, St. James Amy Church at the time and told him about the calling. And he, he told me to make sure that I got into a good seminary. And I told him what was around me. And he said, well, for me, I think that you need to go to Beeson. And so that's how I ended up at Beeson. And, and from that uh, training and everything, as you know, in the AME church, we have to have a MDiv in order to uh, be a pastor. Uh, and so from that, it led to where I am now. I first got my first church in 2009, New Cedar Grove AME Church. And I was ordained as a local deacon at the time. And because of the rules in the church, I would have had to retire before I was able to become an itinerant elder. And so therefore I was a part of the legislation, a writing of the legislation in order for the rules to be changed so that we could retire at a later age and come in at a later age. And so from that uh, time up until after New Cedar Grove, I became a pastor at St. Paul Amy Church in Sylacauga. And then I was a pastor at uh, Grant Chapel Amy Church in Calera, Alabama. And from that, after I had pastored at Grant Chapel for three years, I started having self-care problems. Okay. I was not taking care of myself. I needed to have taken a vacation. I needed to have taken a break after driving from Huntsville to Beeson twice a week and having to be at work at 6 a.m. every day so that I could leave to come to Beeson every day. And, and doing that from 2002 until I retired, it wore me out and, and still trying to study and still trying to go through the board of examiners, uh, still trying to do all of those things. And, and, and I just had a, not a mental breakdown, but a physical breakdown. And so after three years at Grant Chapel, I had to get what they call supernumerary status, which I, which I requested in order to stay in under the care of another church. And that's when I came into St. John Amy Church, where Reverend Dr. Ron Sterling is the pastor. And so he was able to minister to me during those, those two years that I was away. And so when I came back in December of 2020, I was reappointed to Wayman Chapel. So I came there in uh, 2020 
at the height of uh, COVID-19. Okay, so it has been uh, <laughs> a journey. Okay, it's been a journey. We were talking uh, before the show about your time at Beeson and that it was a 10-year journey. You said you began in 2002 and you finished in 2012. And the word that keeps coming to mind is perseverance. And now starting uh, back full-time ministry as a pastor at the beginning of a pandemic. What have you learned about perseverance and how did maybe your time at Beeson prepare you for such a moment as this? And it really did. Uh, I must admit, uh, having been at Beeson and uh, those 10 years, it really ingrained into me the don't quit, don't quit. Keep pushing yourself. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep trying. Keep keep going. And that's what I have had to use now because when I came to Wayman Chapel uh, in December of 2020, no one was in the church. Everything was, for them, they did not have any platform for virtual. And so they were, no one was really coming for the drive-in services that they were having. And so it was hard and it still is hard because as you can see, we're still in a honeymoon season. Okay. Cause uh, I just got there in December, 2020. So we really do not know each other. And so I'm still having to find innovative ways to connect with uh, my people. And prayer has been the one thing that I have had to rely on, making sure that I'm covering the people with God's word. And in reference to that, every Wednesday, I send out a prayer to each person who has allowed us to have uh, their telephone because Dallas County where my church is located, the telephone reception is poor as well as internet service is poor. And so that's a challenge. Um, I have been preaching and starting to preach and in the middle of a sermon, the internet goes out, okay? I've been on the telephone when the telephone won't even connect. So it has been been a challenge, but if I persevered decent, to get where I am, <laughs> I know that I can do it now. And so God has been with me. Uh, he has done some exciting things there in terms of our turning around because at one time, Wayman Chapel was a very notable and church in the district, in our Montgomery Selma district. And because of children growing up, leaving, moving, okay, and others have not replaced them, the congregation is about 58 members on roll, and of those 58 members, only about seven are youth. So it's a matter of our having to bring back the youth into the church. It's a matter of reaching out to those who have been there and who have left. And so that's what we're in the process of doing now. That's that's one of the things that we're trying to do. We're trying to get social media up. We have no Facebook page. We have no website. So we're trying to get social media. We have no Twitter accounts. We're Doing that now, as a matter of fact, uh, the young lady who's who's doing this with us, uh, she just completed it. And so we're now getting ready to launch it. And so we're having uh, drive-in movie nights on Friday nights once a month. And so just a matter of just trying to get the people back uh, and trying to let them know that uh, they are loved. I love them. God loves them most. Uh, but um, just, just trying to do something to make them want to come back. 
you know, because as you know, they have said that many of them are not going to come back. And so we're just trying to make sure that they will be coming. Pastor Ruby, if I may, I want to try to draw out a little bit more wisdom from you on this notion of being resilient in ministry. At Beeson, we spent a lot of time this last year talking about this this challenge, the challenge of resilience, resilience in ministry. We talked about it some in the last issue of our magazine. It was the theme of our, our first annual alumni conference this past fall. We've talked about it on the podcast. We've talked about it in classrooms. And so based on a, a decent amount of experience, I can tell our listeners a lot of pastors and others are flagging these days. They're tired. They're struggling with the challenge of resilience. And even just having listened to you for a few minutes, talk about the way the Lord's used you and what your life story has been like and so on. You sound like somebody who knows as much as anybody else uh, around about the challenge of resilience. Do you have any wisdom? I mean, just imagining some of the folks listening right now are going to be feeling pretty low, pretty tired. Uh, They're going to be feeling like they need a little encouragement. But what do they need to hear? Do you have any advice for folks like that about staying strong and resilient in ministry? For me, having come through that and having going through it even now still, I think the one thing that I can, I say two things that we have to make sure that we are doing is taking care of ourselves through it all and making sure that we are focusing upon what needs to be focused upon. And that for us, it's got to be God. I tell my congregation all the time that don't be no people pleaser, be a God pleaser. And so for us to be resilient, for us to get through, and, and for us as being people of color, we've always had to uh, bounce back. We've always been uh, knocked down. As God's words say, the righteous are knocked down, what, seven times? But each time we rise up again. And so we have to continue to know that even through this challenge that we are faced right now. Uh, and it and it is really, it wears you down because uh, for me, I'm a solo in ministry. There are no other paid uh, ministerial staff. I'm it. So therefore, I grew up in the uh, rotary telephone season, okay? So therefore, I am having to learn Zoom. I'm having to learn how to do all of the things in order for us to communicate with our congregation. And so for me, it's just to know that I always remember that God is doing a new thing and we cannot continue to stay where we are because God is calling us to a new place and a new time doing it in a new way. And so I always tell them that that's what we have to do. To be re- you, can, you can endure this because God is doing something new. And because he is that, we can bounce forward. We can continue. Sure, it's going to be hard. That's why self-care is so very important. That's my message now since I had those two years of supernumerary status. That's what I tell all, and especially females, because we tend to overwork. Okay, We tend not to say no. Okay, And as a result, we, we tend to be overworked and not getting the rest, not getting the uh, spiritual retreat that we need. And then so I, I just make sure that I tell everyone that take care of yourself, but make sure that you're looking to the Lord because he's doing a new thing. You are on the podcast for our series on African-American Ministry Emphasis Month. 
And so I wonder if we can pivot now to just talking about the richness of the African-American church and specifically the AME church. What makes the AME church uh, different from other African-American denominations? Uh, What do you love about it? Just anything that you can do to shine a light on the African-American church in general and then the AME church in particular. Okay. I love the rich history, as you said, of the AME church. The AME Church was founded by Richard Allen in 1787, and it started mainly because they were the slaves. They were mistreated in St. George Church in Philadelphia. Uh, they had helped build the church. They had helped do everything that needed to be done for their church to stand as a congregation. And they went to worship one Sunday, and they were relegated to the balcony. And going up into the balcony, uh, they were praying. They were praying on their knees. And, and then the usher pulled them off of their knees and told them they had to move. They had to uh, go someplace else. And, and Richard Allen and, and the others were saying, well, just wait, just wait till prayer's over and you won't be bothered with us. Anymore. And so that's how the AME church began. And, and, and began because of unchristian like acts towards us, because of racial discrimination because of those things that we're still dealing with on today. And and for me, that is who I am. That's part of my background. Because as I said, I grew up, I was born in 52. So therefore I was born in those time periods when I could not go to swimming pools. Okay. I had to go into the back rooms of restaurants. I I could not go into department stores to try on clothes. I could not eat at a restaurant, uh, which was famous in the area. I could not do those things. And so as a result, I can relate to how our our church began, how our denomination began. And because it began like that, and because we are where we are now, an African-American church is, it feeds me because it knows what I've been through and it knows what I'm going through. It knows that there's still a lot of bigotry that brought racism. And because they do, someone in that church is going to be able to relate to what I'm going through. And so as a result, we can be able to talk it through and we'll be able to talk it out. And and we'll be able to be a sounding board. We'll be able to uh, help each other out in the struggles, in the challenges that we face. And and so for me, the AME Church uh, was the background of that uh, it started from that. That's how we began because they walked out and they said, you won't be bothered with us anymore. We will uh, not be a part of you anymore. And so they they started there on church uh, from a blacksmith shop that Richard Allen purchased. And, and from that, they started the AME church. And from the AME church, the other denominations came because uh, uh, we, we saw that uh, uh, we could not express ourselves. We could not worship uh, in a manner that uh, we had grown to love. And, and so that is still a part of me and, and, and uh, that it is still a part of the social injustices that we are dealing with now. And the, the church has been in the forefront of that. Our, our church uh, is about making sure that we are taking care of the needs of everyone spiritually, uh, emotionally, physically, and socially. And because of that, uh, we are involved in the entire person, uh, not just their spiritual development. We want the entire person, the whole person to be whole uh, because that's who uh, God he created us to be whole. He created us to be a part of the world in which we're in, but not 
of this world, in it, but not of it. And as such, we are to, to go through it, uh, knowing that God has equipped us as well to go through all of the challenges that we're facing because we know that he is still God and he will bring us through, just like he brought the Israelites through. We can always go back to that, you know, that crossing of the Red Sea. You can always go through that, how he brought them through and, and how he continues to bring them through. If he did it for them, he can do it for us. And so for me, that's that's why I uh, love the Indy Church. I have been a Baptist when I first got to Huntsville after I left New Jersey. I joined Progressive Union Missionary Baptist Church. And then when I moved back to uh, move further down into Calera, I joined Liberty Missionary Baptist Church. So I have been in a, in a Baptist church as well, but I still was not able to relate to them as keenly as I am to the AME Church because of the history of it. And, and so that's why I decided to come back. I love the ritual. I love the liturgy. I love everything about the church. And so that's why I decided to come back from being a Baptist back to my roots of an AME church. Ruby, uh, Krista and I always like to end our interviews with people by asking them what the Lord's doing in their lives these days. What's he telling you these days? What's he teaching you these days? Because we like to end with a, a, a pastoral word of encouragement for our listeners. So how about you? What's the Lord doing in your life these days that we might conclude with as a way of uh, lifting up our listeners a little bit? Right now, God is really speaking to me in terms of waiting upon him. One thing that I have been accused of in the past <laughs> is not waiting long enough on the Lord. And so God is telling me to wait and let me fight your battles. Wait and let me work it all out for your good. Wait on me and you will see what I can do in your situations. And, and so for me, my, my word of encouragement to everyone, even though it may look dark now, even though it may look like God is not moving, it may look like you're at a crossroads in your life and, and you don't know which road to take, wait on the Lord and let him direct your steps. Wait up on him and let him show you the way in which you are to walk in, because he will do it. Uh, when I was uh, going through my two year uh, supernumerary status, uh, uh, God came to me in a, such a profound way. Uh, uh, when I was at my lowest point, uh, I was at Kirkland Hospital and I was riding around in the parking lot trying to find a parking space. And as I went further and further up, I ended up on the top floor, had never been up on the top floor before. Every time I've gone to the Kirkland Clinic, I've always been able to find something. Went all the way up. And during that time, God was talking to me. And, and I was talking back to God. I said, God, why you got me way up here on this, on this floor? I've never been up here before. But God was working it out because he was telling me to call Reverend Dr. Ronald Sterling. And I was telling him, I said, God, I don't know how to get in contact with you. I said, you got to show you got to talk to me. And so when I go walk up to the elevator, to go to the uh, floor that I'm on, I punch the elevator, open up the door, who's standing there? Reverend Ronald Stern. That was <laughs> nothing but God, okay, orchestrating it. And he was telling me to wait. You, you just wait on me to let me work it out. You wait on me for your healing. You wait on me for your deliverance. You wait on me for the direction in which your ministry is to go. And he said, and while you're waiting, pray. 
pray the prayer of Solomon for, for God to give me wisdom and knowledge to go be able to go out and to come in before his people. Because who can govern his people of his, which he is so great. They're his people. And, and so uh, uh, waiting and praying, uh, those are the two things that he has been showing me. Those are two things he has been talking to me about. And, and those are the two things that I want to share with you to make sure that you're waiting on the Lord. But as you're waiting, make sure that you're praying. And as you pray, just watch and see what God will do in your life. That is a good word indeed. And for those who may not know, Dr. Ronald Sterling is the Director of Student Services here at Beeson and a professor of spiritual theology on our faculty. He is also an ordained minister in the African Methodist Episcopal Church. In fact, his congregation was mentioned over the course of this interview. Well, listeners, you have been hearing the Reverend Ruby Heard Bustamante, pastor of the Wayman Chapel, African Methodist Episcopal Church in Valley Grand, Alabama. We are very grateful to her for sharing her time with us today. We're grateful to you for tuning in. We pray that God will bless you, and we say goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at beesondivinity.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Thank you.